I just was tired of holding on to the anger and I was tired of holding on to that story of what he did to me. And I took my power back that day when I looked at him and just said, you're, you're dead. Like I'm done with this. My dad didn't get to live. You've sold so much of my life and I'm just, I'm done. I'm going to live the heck out of my life from this point on. And I did. To a second chance for the most positive and uplifting time on the radio. Stay tuned and get in tune with second chance radio. Welcome to a second chance podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If it's your first time listening to the show, You are amongst a community of people that have courage and a mindset to overcome anything. They have been through traumas, accidents, illnesses, near-death experiences. There's been a lot of great stories on the show that you can take some of the skills and things that they used that worked for them for your own healing journey. And if you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for being here. Our listeners this month are from the USA, Canada, the Philippines, Nigeria, Australia, and the United Kingdom. If you want to share where you're from, hop onto the Facebook page at Everyday Second Chances, or you can find the show notes with the links at everydayisasecondchance.com. Our guest today is Angela True, and I'm so delighted to talk with her and share her story. She is a nonprofit executive director, a writing life coach, she has some great stories about traveling the world, and she's a mom. And being on the other side of the microphone, it takes a lot of courage. And she's sharing a story that I can only imagine must be very difficult to be so open and vulnerable about. Angela's father was murdered, and her mother was very ill. And as she shares her story, she will share the difficulties that she had and how she found healing and came to help others find healing. So thanks again, and please welcome Angela True. Hi, Angela. Thank you for taking the time to share your story with us today. Hi, Gina. Nice. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here. My pleasure. Please take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you so everyone can get to know you. Yeah, I would love to. Well, I am a mom of twin boys that are 13. I'm currently living in Seattle, Washington. I'm an expat. I've lived all over the world. I've lived in China, Saudi Arabia, Thailand, and I'm just recently back to the U.S. So that's that's kind of my space. I've been a teacher. I've owned um, businesses and nonprofit executive director in Thailand. One of the things that I did there was worked with orphans or children that have lost both parents, teaching them about grief, identity, self-esteem, and just kind of helping them through the loss and for many of them, the trauma space. And that's, that's sort of how I got my start. Angela, the work that you're doing is so impactful. I can only imagine that it must have come from the experience that you have gained from what you have walked through. Would you please take us there? Take us to the time that was the beginning of your second chance story. And we will share the heartaches and what you learned and the skills that you used to grow to become the person that you are today. The darkest day of my life was I was 16 years old and I was sitting in my family living room. Three years prior, my mother had almost died. She had a mental breakdown, um, encephalitis, meningitis, and um, wasn't supposed to make it, but she did. I'm sitting in my living room. I have my younger brother that's 13 and my mom who still has some damage from her prior illness. And we're watching the five o'clock news. And I see the newscaster come on and he says, two men have been shot and killed. And I look and I see my dad's car in front of 
the scene of the accident. And what I didn't know at the time is I was actually watching my father's murder unfold on TV. And my whole entire um, life just dropped. My It was like an atomic bomb dropped in my living room. Just, oh my gosh. And then sure enough, the sheriff shows up and tells us that, yes, my dad had in fact been murdered. He'd been shot um, several times and his killer was on the loose. As you can imagine, I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? I'm not old enough to have a house. My mother's not well. And so basically my whole world was destroyed. Um, we went into foster care. My brother and I lived with family. Uh, my mother went into state care. Um, you know, and our house was kind of given back to the state in, in Washington area. So that was, you know, literally one of the darkest days of my life is just finding out that that moment when you realize that your loved one had been shot. The way that you found that out, though, must have added like triple to the the shock of it all. Yeah, you know, to just see it on TV um, was was pretty shocking, and and you know at that, at that time when you're 16, you don't really process that that well. I mean, you're a teenager, and so you don't. I guess when you're any age, you don't process it that well. Um, but that was definitely added to the trauma of it is just watching it, watching it unfold for sure. It was pretty heavy. And then six years later, my mother was dead. So by the time I was 22, I was pretty much parentless and just had felt like I had kind of lost my way in the world, if you will. I haven't been through anything like this myself. However, I can relate with what it feels like to feel you've lost your way in the world. And I would imagine most people listening right now can. I like how you're able to relate what you've walked through in a story that people can understand and feel as well. So please tell us more. When I was 13, she started to get sick. And so I was able to kind of help her a little bit more. And then after my father's murder, I was taking care of her and also taking care of my younger brother, who's 13. So I I felt like I was just, you know, kind of continuing that cycle of caring for people. And then when she actually died, I realized it was such a different death than having someone murdered because you, I could say goodbye and I knew it was her time and she just wasn't well. And so it was a much different death for me than my father. But that is when I really felt it all. It's kind of what they call compound grief Mm -hmm. and it just comes and you feel all of it at once. And I remember, um, I had decided to go to college and I, when she had died and I remember just laying in my college room just I couldn't physically get up I mean I literally was so grief struck that I just you know thought I might die it was a it was a pretty horrible time and grief does that to us kind of it just can sneak up on us and get us and and everything when you feel like that moment where everything hits you all at once anything that you can share from that experience for someone that might be in that place I just spoke to someone yesterday that uh, is in that very place right now and when you're in it, I'm sure it's harder to realize what you've just told us. Yeah, it is. And I think it's so, it's such a dark place and people that are not there or who have never been there. And there's many of us that have, I don't think they really understand. I mean, you literally physically can't get up. You feel like it takes all the energy you can to just lift your hand up. It's, it's a very bizarre feeling. And what I would later learn is that was, you know, trauma and it was grief and it was all of that together. But I think the, the way that I pulled myself out was to finally get help. I mean, I had to get help. I went and got a, you know, psychodynamic therapist in my university and said, you know, I need some help. I can't get up. Um, and, I, and I think it's also important to know when you're depressed. For me, it was a chemical depression. You know, your brain just doesn't produce the serotonin. You're just the things that you normally do mm-hmm. that make yourself feel better. You can't do. 
you physically can't do. You know, sometimes we light a candle or take a bath. None of those things are working. So I actually went to my university counselor and then I also went to see my doctor and got on some medicine for for a time to get me through that. And I think I was on the medicine for about six months to a year because when you're dealing with something that dark, I think it's incredibly difficult to do it alone. I know that. Um, and so I did. I was able to get on some medicine with the therapy. And I, and I truly believe that had I been on the medicine only and not got the therapy, I probably would not be here today. Mm, that's such an important point that you bring up. We, we have a lot of discussion about that as to whether mm-hmm. or not people should go on medicine or not. And their fear is that they'll have to be on it for the rest of their life. Yeah, and that's such a myth. I'm so glad you brought that up because it really is a myth for as long as it takes us to get depressed, that's as long as we need to be on it. And, um, you know, I've, I've used medicine a, probably two or three times in my life when I got to those points where I couldn't get out. And then my counselor said, think about this, you know, or my, the, he was working with a nurse practitioner and said, how long is it taking you to get to this point? And I was like, well, it's probably been a year, you know? And then when I was on it for a year, he's like, that's how long you need to do it, but it can't be done alone. And you have to work on your stuff because when we stuff it and we hide it, no pill, no amount of, you know, anything is going to make it okay until we pull those things out and actually face them. Now, before we get to the next question, I just want to point out that the podcast led me to create a small nonprofit to offer a couple of sessions, coaching, counseling for people needing them. But if, mm-hmm. you know, someone is entering this journey where they're going to need a lot and they're not mm-hmm. really in a great financial situation, could you point out a couple resources they might consider? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a good question. I think that there are, you know, some nonprofits, I, I think that if you're really in a bad spot and I don't know what it is for for Canada or wherever you are worldwide, but it's, it's just really reaching out to, to friends, to, to organizations like, um, I know sometimes when you're in a very bad spot, you can even go into the emergency room and say, I'm not doing well. And you can get a little bit of help that way. It's hard. You know, there are not a lot of nonprofits that help people with therapy. And, and that is something I'm hoping to change. You know, I do have, um, Angela True Writer, and I do coach people and offer discounted rates if, if anyone is, know, really struggling and really needed some help. But that's a good point that you bring up. And, I, and I'm so glad you're doing that because it's so needed. I mean, therapy is expensive and mm-hmm. it's not something that it's accessible to everyone. And so I love that you're offering that space in your nonprofit. I think it's important. And I, I wish I had more resources to tell you, mm-hmm. but um, there's not, it depends on kind of where you live, but I'd say keep reaching out and keep asking and ask your mental health service, go to your city. Sometimes, um, you know, your local city will have resources depending on where you live that can help, but do reach out because you, you can't do this by yourself. And there are people who are willing to help. Yeah. And you bring up some really great points about just talking with friends or writing. If that's where you have to start, just the, the sharing and not keeping it inside yourself. Right. That is so true. And I think sometimes writing it down and, and when you're writing, and that's one of the things I do is I help people who have been through gun violence or um, PTSD, people who have been in combat. Um, and we start to write some of these pieces in their life. And, and, and I would say that that is a very cathartic thing to do, but it's also something you have to be careful because if you open up those wounds too much and there's not somebody there to help you, um, that can be a, a really difficult time as well. And it can you know, not, not be that safe. So you have to be very careful as to what you choose to write. I do a lot of narrative therapy, um, with people in, in writing. And many of us have our narrative, like for me, you know, I was a child of a murdered parent. My mother was dead by the time I was 22. And this was the narrative that I carried 
through my entire life. And sometimes just writing that narrative, what I found actually re-traumatized me. And so I think it's really important if you are in a space where you're depressed that you pick scenes that make you feel good when you're writing. Because if you start to write some of that stuff and you don't have support system around you when you start to write that, you can actually re-traumatize yourself. Uh, and and I, I found that when I didn't know this information, I would write this stuff and then re-traumatize myself. And then I would just do what we call fight, flight and freeze. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know why I can't write anymore. <laughs> so my suggestion, if you are really struggling, just pick a scene of a time when you felt really good and write that. Like a lot of times it's so important to go back and remember when things, you know, felt right and when you felt the most like yourself and write some of those scenes about, you know, what were your favorite color. I always like to do an exercise where you fill an empty cup and you put that on your refrigerator and you just start to put things on that empty cup, like cut out magazines of things that remind you to be to get back to yourself, to your younger self as to who you were when you were young and what were the things you liked? What colors did you like? Because many times when people experience trauma um, or grief or PTSD, they don't automatically, especially in younger years, they don't, they're so busy surviving that they forget to think about what actually made them them. So I, I would say keep it positive if you're writing alone without support and write some of those positive things so that you can feel better. And then when you start to go and set the scene of some of the things that happened, it's important to always be checking in with someone when you're doing that. Words of wisdom. Now we get to the turnaround point. Tell us a moment in time of an incredible turnaround point that you experienced. Tell us this story. We're going to explore the steps that you took to walk along your journey. Boy, this is a good one. And and there are so many turnaround points, I think, in all of our lives. I think for me, I had shared that for a long time, the narrative in my life was I was the, I was kind of a victim. You know, I was, my father was murdered. I was at 22, my mother was dead. And that is the story that I told myself about me. And it wasn't until, you know, my, my father's killer was on death row in Washington state. And so I went through a murder trial two years after he was murdered. I was a senior in high school and then I'm looking at the man that killed my father. And so if you can imagine, it's just so horrific. And I had lived that way for a very long time. And then when I got into my 30s, I had done all sorts of things, lots of counseling and different things. And my father's killer was retried. And so this is that turnaround moment for me. You know, for so long, I had pictured maybe, you know, what I would do to him or how I would hurt him if I could get, you know, to in front of him to say, look at how much you've hurt my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will never forget, I went into the courtroom and I was 30 years old. My husband and I had been married and, and, and bef- when we got married and, and one of the the other things I did was go overseas and travel. We was a teacher, so we taught in China. And I know that travel also heals trauma. I really, truly believe that. But this one moment, is it's the defining moment. And I want to go back to that because I think it's really important. The judge looked at me and said, you know, you're not allowed to talk to Gary, which was the guy's name. I knew that it was something I had to do. And so she said that and I turned I, did, I ignored her and I looked right at him and I just, my legs started to shake like a rubber band. I mean, it literally was just shaking like crazy. And I said, you know what? You took my father from me, but you'll never take another day in my life. I said, you are dead to me and I am not going to let you steal my life. You stole my dad's life, my mom's, you stole my life. And from this point on, you're dead to me. Like I, I don't forgive you because I actually don't. I know people say forgive, but I don't. I just was tired of holding on to the anger And I was tired of holding on to that story of what he did to me. And 
I took my power back that day when I looked at him and just said, you're, you're dead. Like I'm done with this. My dad didn't get to live. You've sold so much of my life and I'm just, I'm done. I'm going to live the heck out of my life from this point on. And I did. Um, three months later, I was pregnant with my twins. You know, we traveled, I got into so many, so many things, but that moment, that defining moment of being like, I'm taking my power back. I'm no longer going to be the girl that was just the murdered parent that had the murdered parent. I'm going to regain the narrative of my life. And that was the defining day. Oh, that's so beautiful. You just, it, it took a lot of courage and you let go of that identity and embraced your new life from that moment, it sounds like. Yeah. And, and let me tell you, there are days where, you know, I still feel it. Like I think what you call the, the long tail of grief, um, there's a lot of things that trigger it and that sort of thing. But what I realize is we all have this narrative of our trauma and what happened to us. And sometimes in those darkest days, we can learn the most beautiful things. Um, what I learned is I was a survivor and that I had a lot of, I had gained a lot of skills from going through these really dark things. And when I started to focus on more on the new narrative that I wanted to create for my life is look, Hey, I love children. I love, you know, working with orphans. I love elephants and pugs. And I want, you know, to have the most beautiful life outside of my trauma. And I think when I started to look at the second narrative is what I call it of my life is how do I take all these things that happened to me and live a different narrative that says, okay, these things happened to me, but they don't define me and they don't have to define me. And so how do I take this and move forward? And that's, that's kind of what I did in that second part. But understanding that there are still moments where I cry or feel grief, but I know now well enough that those are just feelings and I feel them. And then I go on and I realize that that's not me and that's not the place I want to stay. All right, Angela, you have been a great storyteller, and I feel like we're right there with you. <laughs> we're going to take a closer look now at everything you've gone through in your second chance story. What about mm -hmm. you changed the most from this experience? You know, I think I had to be brave enough to tell the truth from my toes. And that is not an easy thing to do. When you have walked the walk of trauma or grief or loss, everyone always wants to tell you how you should act or how you should be or what you should say and what you shouldn't say. And I finally just said, you know what? I have to have radical self-love. I have to love myself from the bottom of my being because my parents were gone. I had no guide. No one loved, you know, I didn't, I didn't ha grow up with that. You're okay and good job. And, and so I think when people lose someone young tragically or they lose in that in that space it's really hard to have self-worth and love and so I think the biggest thing that I learned is self-love number one you know you have to love yourself because you are really it and you also have to parent yourself if you're young and you've lost you've lost your parents I had to learn how to be my own parent because no one was going to show up to tell me when my kids were sick no one was going to show up that was my job now and that I think was one of the biggest, the biggest lessons that I learned is just self-love and learning to be your own parent and, and just taking, telling the truth, you know, telling the truth about who you are in the world and showing up. And also, um, one of the favorite sayings that I have is from um, Cheryl Strait. She's a dear, just a dear person and inspiration to me. And she says, you have to be brave enough to break your own heart. And that's one of her sayings. And I think that is so true. You've got to be brave enough to you know, break your own heart, ha bear witness to your story, get it out there, but realize that you're not what happened to you. It doesn't define you. And you get to create this new story outside of your pain. And I think those are the, the biggest lessons that I came out 
with. And, and then one last thing that I came out with, and, and this was also from a couple of writing conferences that I did was there's always, there can always be what we call two truths or three or four or five. And I, I have this visual and it helped me so much to realize, you know, sometimes people say, okay, you have to be okay. And, you know, forget about grief and go on and you'll get over it. And I, and I never believe we get over grief. And one of the things that helped me so much is to say there can be two truths. It can suck and it can be okay at the same time. And I always picture myself holding two stones and in one hand, this really sucks. And in the other hand, it can be okay. And I can walk forward because if you think about it, sometimes we think we have to stay stuck in our misery. We don't, you know, we can, be miserable or sad, but then also be okay because those are just feelings and emotions that come and we can hold on to both of them. And sometimes I have 10 rocks that I'm walking with, but it's okay. And I think that was such freedom for me to know no one had ever told me that I could have two truths mm. and I could still go forward. And that was a very powerful and profound moment for me um, learning that. And I, I hope this helps others as well because it was profound. Can you share one of your personal habits that contributed to your overcoming this? I'm writing, you know, writing my life, reframing my story. I am just finishing up a memoir. And when I wrote the first draft, it was just a whole bunch of sadness. But what I realize is when we get that story out, someone has to bear witness or we have to bear witness to our own story. And after I wrote the first draft, I went, oh, my God, this is so crap. <laughs> it's just it's just that it's just who's going to want to read this? And, and really they wouldn't because it was just this happened and this happened. And, um, and then I realized that, you know, after you bear witness to your story, then you can start to put it in place as to how those events in your life shape the person that you are. And, mm -hmm. and so that, that is writing has helped me so much and therapy. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a really good psychodynamic therapist. If you have had any type of trauma in your life, especially early childhood, you absolutely need to have psychodynamic therapy along with a life coach. I mean, the more that you can do, it's like brushing your teeth. You have to keep the tartar away. And so you keep going back and you keep brushing because if you don't do that, that tartar builds up and then we numb our pain. And that's what we do when we're hurting, especially in trauma. We numb our pain. We go to alcohol. We go to addictions. If we don't deal with our stuff, it deals with us. That's powerful. If we don't deal with our stuff, it deals with us. Mm-hmm. It's so true. There's lots of forms we don't like. <laughs> so, yeah. Can you share a resource like a podcast or a book that you couldn't have made it without? Oh, so many. But I will start with the first one was Motherless Daughters by Hope Elderman. She's a, a dear friend of mine. I was 22. I saw it in the bookstore because I had lost my mom so young. And that book saved my life. It was all these other women who had lost their mom. That, that was one of the major ones. Wild by Cheryl Strayed. One of my favorite stories of a girl who lost her mom and went on a hike. And you might know that book. So incredibly powerful. Uh, another one was Glass Castle, which I know that movie just came out was about a childhood kind of lost and found um, and reframing your childhood. That was a very inspirational book. So there, there's so many books. And, and that is the other thing I encourage you to do. Read. And if you're not a reader, get Audible and get on Audible and get mm -hmm. these books. You know, there are so many people and stories heal us when we have that me too moment of somebody else experiencing what we have. It helps so incredibly much. So very, so very much. Well, I'm going to link all that into the show notes at everydayisasecondchance.com along with your website, angelatruewriter.com. And I just want to thank yeah. you so much for giving us your time today. And the last question that we have is what is one thing that you are most passionate about today? 
advocacy. I think that when you turn your grief into advocacy, you you change your grief, you change your life. And for and right now I'm on something called Survivors in Power. So I advocate for survivors who survived gun violence. And um, I think that I'm the most passionate about advocacy for sure. And love, you know, making sure you have love in your life and beauty because every single day there's something that is going to bring you down. But how are you going to look for the most beautiful things in the world that help you be okay? Because you have to be able to do that. In order to be able to serve others, you have to also take care of yourself. And Angela, where is the best place that my audience can connect with you if they want to learn more about your work? You know, I love to talk with them. I offer a free 20-minute consult. And if you're interested in writing your story or you have you know, a lot of trauma or grief that you're working through, mother loss, father loss, early loss, I definitely love to talk to you there at AngelaTrueWriter.com. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and being vulnerable and just being here with us today. Thank you so much, Gina, and I love the work you're doing. You're amazing. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Second Chance Radio for the most positive and uplifting time on the radio. So tune in again with your host of Second Chance Radio. Second Chance Radio. Second Chance Radio.